At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habick, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Today's episode is going to be dealing with the policy side, mainly on what's happening at the federal level with our benevolent federal government, who has all of our best interests in mind. And there's actually a lot of hope especially from my side, what we're able to see within Freedom Health Works, the direct primary care world, there's a lot of interest in making positive change. And I'm saying this from both sides of the aisle. It's not just a red versus blue type of an argument. And so one of the comp- one of the organizations, I will say, I almost said company, but one of the organizations, more of a think tank, more of a policy experts, that is really leading the charge in advocating for the American healthcare consumer, the patient and the people and the doctors and everybody who's actually involved in it has been Americans for Prosperity. So please welcome to Healthcare Americana, Dean Clancy, a senior health policy fellow with Americans for Prosperity. Dean, thanks so much for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, from a federal level, whenever anybody says the words federal and policy and healthcare, most people just kind of bury their head in the sand and say, it's so broken. I'm not even sure that it's worth bringing back from the brink. Enter Americans for Our Prosperity relatively recently. Now, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but AFP has historically been involved in matters of economic policy and only recently got into the healthcare world. Give us a little bit of background on AFP and why you decided to expand from really free trade advocates into getting into healthcare that is it is probably the furthest thing from a free market that we possibly have in America today. Well, you're absolutely right. Americans for Prosperity traces its roots back to a group established, oh, I want to say around 2008, called Citizens for a Sound Economy. And the focus there was to be the voice of taxpayers and individual citizens on questions of uh, taxes and uh, regulation and uh, getting the economy growing. Today, we're called Americans for Prosperity. We're much bigger and we uh, work on many more issues. We work on energy, taxes, trade, finance, regulation. We're interested in AI. I mean, you name it, we're kind of across the board. But healthcare has become very important to us uh, not just because of the whole fight over Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act. We were engaged in that fight. We were very much opposed to that, uh, we thought, misguided federal reform. And um, we've been proven right. 
Uh, but instead of just kind of uh, sitting back and criticizing, we've said, look, let's make the American healthcare system better. And that has led us to mount a campaign. It's, it's an optimistic, future-oriented campaign we call the personal option. Our polling shows Americans don't want a government takeover of health care. They want more choice and control, more options, more price transparency, less hassle. And um, our view is that much of what ails American health care today can be boiled down to too much meddling by health insurance companies and too many misguided government rules and mandates. So the personal option is about removing those, empowering consumers and removing barriers. And our polling shows Americans favor that kind of approach two to one over Medicare for all or a single payer government run healthcare system. So we have folks all over the country, thousands of volunteers. We have paid staff in 38 states. We talk to lawmakers under the dome in the states and in Washington. We knock on doors. We talk to people. We do polling and focus groups. Our political arm does endorse candidates and make political contributions. We're trying to get aligned policy champions into the halls of power so that we can remove these barriers. So yes, healthcare has become a big deal for AFP. I want to talk about this, I guess, misguided idea that the current U.S. healthcare industry is a free market. And so people say, it's not functioning right. The free market has failed in healthcare. When you hear something like that, how do you react? What do you say to that person? Well, it's complete rubbish. We do not have a free market healthcare system today. We have not had for many decades. Uh, we are, don't agree with uh, an idea that was first put out there by an economist named Kenneth Arrow, who said, well, markets don't work in healthcare because patients don't have enough information and so on. Uh, the real world experience of everyday people shows that's not true. And we know it's not true because healthcare works very well in certain areas like cosmetic surgery, LASIK uh, surgery, cash pay only um, facilities, and of course, direct primary care, uh, which is the most exciting new development in the insurance free healthcare space. Basically, wherever you get the meddlers, the insurance companies and the bureaucrats out of the way, doctors and patients get together naturally and markets work just fine. You're talking about cosmetics and Lasix and even the DPC concierge world and how there's competition. I mean, if you look at the price of LASIK surgery back from when it came out, what, 20 years ago versus what it is today, it's basically following the pricing curves of big screen televisions and everything else in healthcare is going the absolute opposite way, outpacing standard of living, outpacing inflation, you know, all the, the CPI. So yeah, I would be right with you. So when somebody looks at this and they really want to learn more and say, well, wait a minute, if you're telling me that healthcare is not a free market and you're saying that all these other entities and insurance and hospitals are, are fixing the game against patients and then the government is coming in to really provide more barriers rather than the consumer protections, then they say, well, we just need to get rid of insurance companies altogether and have the government do some type of Medicare for all strategy. What is the problem with that one? I'm, I'm picking on the challenges here, Dean, but when someone says Medicare for all, this is going to solve all of our problems. Again, how do you react? What do you tell that person? How do you educate them? Well, there's a number of reasons 
to realize why that's just not a good idea. And in fact, we find in our polling that once you begin to explain those ideas, support for Medicare for all drops off quickly when people think it through. It sounds nice because people have nice warm feelings about today's Medicare program. Of course, most Americans are not actually on that program. They don't actually experience, you know, it's it's an inferior insurance product. It only covers about half of your expectable medical expenses. It only pays doctors and hospitals about half of what a private commercial health insurer insurer would pay for the same item or service. And so uh, seniors and disabled folks on Medicare have less access to care and the quality of their care is lower. And they often end up shelling out a fortune for supplemental coverage to fill in the gaps of this poorly designed program. Uh, That's not to say that we should get rid of Medicare, but it does uh, suggest that we shouldn't make it the program for everybody. And of course, if you did that, it would be akin to putting the post office or the Department of Motor Vehicles in charge of your health care. It's a bureaucracy. It's a monopoly. They don't have to please their customers. That's why it's inferior. And um, the uh, the Medicare uh, for All bill uh, proposed by Congress, excuse me, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, a self-described socialist, would cost thirty trillion dollars with a T more than we're currently spending on health care over ten years first 10 years, because uh, the idea is to make everything free. And so it wouldn't even be Medicare. In fact, his bill would eliminate Medicare and replace it with this utopian version of Medicare that, well, we know from the real world, we know from Britain and Canada and other countries, uh, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I wouldn't want to get sick and and be my age in Britain because they're going to ration my health care And um, we don't have to do that. America doesn't have to emulate those other countries. So Medicare for all, bad idea. Instead, let's give folks a personal option. I like how you said, you know, starting out there that, and and I talk about this all the time. I go, why is somebody so excited to turn 65 to go into Medicare? And now they get a government minimum program. If you put it like that, like nobody's nobody's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Like, I'm all in. Like, what if everybody said, great, when you turn 16, the government's going to hand you a used Nissan Altima. Like, no one's going to want that. That's that's it's dangerous. It's, nobody wants that, right? It's almost like, uh, you know, going back to the old Soviets that uh, you can choose any color you want to of, of a new car as long as it's black or I got that wrong. That was kind of I'm mixing my uh, my metaphors there. It's Henry Ford. But yeah, Henry it's... Ford. Yes. <laughs> The, uh, I think the Soviets were saying, yeah, you can choose a car and just hope you're still alive by the time it actually get, actually shows up here, right? <laughs> that, that, that's right. <laughs> I got I to gotta go back to my metaphor book here, Dean. Well, clearly, but it's okay. It's okay. By the way, the, uh, the Medicaid program, you know, the one for lower income folks, folks in nursing homes, it's even worse than Medicare on quality and access. And when you think about what the Medicare for All folks are trying to do, they're really trying to put everybody in a Medicaid-like program. That program basically relies on private HMOs, you know, restrictive health insurance plans to ration care to people. That's what Medicare for All would really be like. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And as I said, happily, we don't have to do it. 
I like the nomenclature of a Medicaid for all type of approach rather than Medicare for all to really drive that in of this is the minimum. You get the scarlet M on you and then your (laughs) options really, really decrease. So let's talk about the positive, right? So AFP, American Prosperity, has been working on what we call the personal option. Give us that 30,000 foot view of really what this does and why it appeals to consumers. Sure. Uh, The personal option is a vision, a philosophy, a campaign, and a strategy to make American healthcare what it could be uh, through the use of markets rather than mandates. It's built on three basic pillars. The first is empower patients, not insurance companies. Give uh, people, if you're going to give them subsidies, and we do believe in government safety nets to make sure nobody falls through the cracks, but those should be well-designed and narrow. Give people those subsidies so they decide how to spend the money. Give them choice and control. So fund patients, not insurance companies. And uh, the second pillar is uh, HSAs for all. Let every American save and pay for health care tax-free in an account that they own and control, where they get to decide what to spend on, how much to spend, and let them save that money and build it up into a nest egg for future medical expenses. HSAs exist today, but they have severe limitations. We'd like to remove those. So that's the second pillar, HSAs for all. And the third is remove barriers between patients and the medical professionals they trust. And that consists of all kinds of things. Probably the most important one is make sure people have access to direct patient care, as I call it, direct primary care or direct specialist care, direct care options where there's no insurance middleman. We know those work. We know patients and doctors and nurses. They love it because it's, you know, just real health care on both sides. It's, you know, your doctor gets to know you as a human being. The doctor doesn't have to fill out insurance paperwork. You have more access and you, you know all these things. And then there are many others, you know, removing state certificate of need laws that restrict access to or the supply of hospitals and uh, MRI machines and, um, you know, going to site neutral payment in Medicare, which means that you don't just basically subsidize local hospital monopolies by paying them more if the doctors happen to affiliate with the hospital rather than being independent. And the list goes on. That's all under the heading of remove barriers between patients and the medical professionals they trust. So that's it. That's the personal option in a nutshell. It's putting patients back in charge of their health care. And we've heard that before. And, and I think that was one of the drives of why high deductible health plans became so popular. And then they attached HSAs to them, which I'm the same way of saying thinking that you are, that one of the biggest limitations is that most Americans go bankrupt if they try to meet their deductibles, yet an HSA is an incredible tax vehicle, you know, triple tax saving on it. It's just like, well, the right hand's not talking the left here. We have this great account that people can save up for, put dollars into for the really bad, you know, really the worst year of their lives, as I heard somebody call it. But yet they don't have the savings that can, you know, to actually do that and not and, and avoid bankruptcy. And it's just I think that's where people get their minds just so wrapped around this. Like, this doesn't make any sense. You talked about quality, affordable insurance, access to your physician that actually gets to know you, 
not treating doctors and nurses like commodities, building relationships, kind of an old school approach to medicine. Talked about price transparency, certainty, prescription prescription drugs at lower prices. I mean, this sounds like you're going after everybody. You're going after government interference. You're going after PBMs. You're going after insurance companies. You're going after hospital monopolies. Are you guys trying to boil the ocean? Is AFP <laughs> trying to boil the ocean and and try to grab everything all at once? Well, um, we are certainly trying to be comprehensive because there are so many problems in healthcare. We do prioritize. We do look for our opportunities to uh, make successes. For example, uh, in South Carolina recently, we focused on repealing the Certificate of Need uh, protectionist scheme that prevents new hospitals from being built or existing ones from being expanded simply because a government board basically protects the uh, the incumbent hospitals. Uh, we got that fully repealed. South Carolina is con-free, as we like to say now, and AFP led the charge on that. We could have focused on other issues, uh, but, but we decided to target. And um, at the federal level, we are focused on HSAs for all, and we're making good progress. The House of Representatives is very interested in legislating on that issue with a number of ideas that uh, we have supported, including ideas that we've proposed. And uh, so, yes, we are, uh, we are trying to fix health care generally, but we do pick our spots. You know, you mentioned all those people that were probably uh, annoying, like the hospitals, the insurers, the PBMs. All that's true. But we do ally with them on an, the occasional issue where our interests and principles are aligned. And um, the one group uh, that I'd say most of all we tend to line up with is physicians. Physicians, we, we see the world from the point of view of the doctor-patient relationship. And physicians tend to be the victims of all that's happened in American health care. So we ally with them, and that's a very powerful voice. They're the most trusted voice in healthcare debates. And, of course, we're also advocating for patients, which is all of us. All Americans are patients sooner or later. And so that's why we're trying to get the word out to help enlist them in achieving the reforms we need. I love what you said. Physicians are really the victims. They're at the losers at this one. But yet, that's who the finger gets pointed at. When we talk about any type of you know, Medicare cuts or how to save money or go after transparency, everybody's pointing them at physicians and providers saying they're the problem over here, when in reality, they get one of the smallest slice of that healthcare dollar out of anybody. But yet, so many physicians just sit back and keep their heads down. And they don't like, you know what, this is this is just my world. I don't know what else to do. And AFP is saying, look, we're going to give physicians a voice. Let us know what you need. We want to work with you, make you heard, because so many other things are piling on top of doctors to really push them in the corner, commoditize them and say, hey, you got a stethoscope and a white coat. You're all the same. Nobody wants to actually hear from any individuals. And that's very scary to me coming from growing up in a small town and understanding what impact a community physician can really have. So I appreciate that side of it, that you are allying with the physician. Dean, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to hear from our sponsor, Freedom Doc. And then I want to come back and I want to get a better understanding of what the environment and the atmosphere is on Capitol Hill and who you're working with and the major players involved in Washington. So here's a quick message from our sponsor, Freedom Doc. 
Physician burnout is a killer. It is driving our best and brightest out of medicine. The only solution to burnout is to be your own boss. Easiest way to be your own boss is to join the Freedom Doc Physician Network. Freedom Doc is a unified brand will fully finance your practice so that you can enjoy a healthier lifestyle, take better care of patients, and spend more time with your family. You focus on patients, Freedom Doc focuses on your business. So if you're ready to be your own boss, visit our website, freedomdoc.care, to learn more and schedule a consultation with one of our experts, Freedom Doc Accessible Concierge Healthcare. We are back with Dean Clancy, Senior Health Policy Fellow with Americans for Prosperity. Dean, before the break, we were talking a lot about these misconceptions that people have about the American healthcare system, why one side of the aisle has really bad ideas and the, and the other side of the aisle seems to have no ideas right now. But that's where Americans for Prosperity comes in to pitch this personal option, as you call it, that really opens up the playing field for patients to take control of their health care in a very economical way, an easy-to-navigate way. What type of environment are you experiencing in Washington when you come forward and you meet with legislators on both sides of the aisle? Is there appetite for looking at health care reform to empower patients? There is a growing appetite. Since 2017, when Republicans had control of Congress and failed to repeal and replace uh, the Affordable Care Act, or I should say the Unaffordable Care Act, you know, after seven years of campaigning and winning elections on that promise, they have been gun shy about health reform issues. They've learned the wrong lesson, in my opinion. Uh, what we've found is uh, voters like it when Republicans and all candidates speak about health care. It's a very high-ranking issue for voters. It's top three in our polling after inflation and jobs. It's almost always in the top five. Uh, the cost of health care is extremely concerning. 40% of Americans think it's a crisis. And the last time people said that was right before the Obamacare debate, and the last time before that was right before the Hillary care debate in the 90s. So I think conditions are um, conspiring to make a national health reform debate inevitable. And um, Republicans happily are starting to get back up on the horse. They, uh, in the House of Representatives, they have passed a couple of great little bills that do move us towards a personal option approach in health care. I can give you the sort of the quick summary on those. One called the CHOICE Act, Choices in All Capital Letters, that's uh, H.R. 3799, passed, I think it was in June. It does two great things. It, uh, it creates choice plans, which basically allow your employer to put money in an account that you can then use to purchase your own private portable health insurance. So now with that help, you don't uh, risk losing your health insurance when you change jobs and you have more control over what kind of coverage you get. The second thing the bill does is um, expand on the idea of association health plans. So businesses can band together, get group discount rates, and it includes the self-employed so, uh, you know, uh, independent contractors, Uber drivers, people who basically work for themselves can band together and get good health insurance benefits. That's the Choice Act that passed in June, thanks to the Republicans. 
Then there's a transparency and site-neutral payment bill. It's uh, pending right now as we speak in, uh, in the fall of 2023. It's called the Lower Cost, More Transparency Act. It would build on things the Trump administration did to make hospitals and insurers publish their prices. Healthcare is the only industry in America, really, where consumers don't get to see the price of care up front before they have to buy it. So the bill tries to uh, break that down by requiring price publication. It also moves towards a site-neutral payment in Medicare, which is a wonk term that means you won't pay the hospital-based physician two or three times as much as the independent community-based physician for exactly the same item or service. It's a stupid policy, and it strengthens the grip of those local hospital monopolies. They're incentivized to buy up the local doctor groups and bring them in-house so they can charge higher reimbursements. It's terrible. So that bill uh, is also something good, moves us in the right direction. There is a third bill in the offing uh, that would expand and improve tax-free health savings account. And we have been uh, conversing with folks on the Hill about that legislation. We're very excited. I don't know exactly when it's going to come up for a vote. It hasn't been unveiled yet. Uh, But it includes some great ideas for making HSAs more available and more useful, including, I will say this much, I know it's going to make HSAs usable with direct primary care, which is really needed and is very exciting. Who is coming at this, looking at this, and calling you up and saying, Dean, this is a terrible idea. We're not against this. Who's fighting you on this? Well, it's funny. The folks on the left who, you know, tend to favor government top-down sorts of healthcare solutions, I think right now they're a little bit asleep at the switch. I don't think they know what's coming. I think what we're doing at the moment is a little bit under their radar, and that's a good thing. Uh, In general, however, uh, we do do get opposition from sort of uh, progressives of the, the hardcore type. You know, they think health savings accounts are just some kind of tax haven for the wealthy, which is simply not true. There's no basis for that. It's just an assertion they make. Uh, that uh, uh, choice plans bill that I mentioned, I've never heard a Democrat or a, a progressive criticize it, nor Joe Biden. And yet the the evening before the vote, President Biden issued a threat saying, if this gets to my desk, I will veto it. And all the Democrats in the House then fell in behind him and voted no on it, even though, as I say, I had never heard any of them criticize the idea. It's been around for years. In fact, the Trump administration actually implemented it through administrative means in 2019, and it's never been challenged in court, and no one's introduced a bill to get rid of it. It's a great option that everybody should like, and yet they all came out against it, I think, for political reasons. Healthcare issues are polarized, unfortunately so. What Biden said in his threat letter was, uh, this takes away important protections for American patients and workers. Well, what protections? It just gives them another option, another way to get healthcare assistance from their employer. This is crazy, this, uh, this polarization. I think that uh, over time you'll find that uh, the people will see through these kinds of arguments and, and will find common ground. But, uh, you know, in terms of special interests, obviously the hospitals tend to oppose these changes. The insurance companies tend to oppose them. The PBMs and drug makers 
And yet, as I said, on some issues, we find ourselves in alignment, like we oppose price controls. So we're on the same side as the drug makers on that issue. But we're against them on some of the patent reform, uh, FDA exclusivity issues where the the drug makers just want to promote and prolong their monopolies. I think there's a wave of change happening, like you said, that it was interesting that some industry type got a hold of the president and said, hey, this can't go through because we're probably going to stop donating to a campaign. And like you said, one political party just fell in behind on that one. But we're starting to see a lot of really high level lawsuits from big companies against health insurers and PBMs for really violating their fiduciary duty underneath ERISA laws. So I think there's a couple of different avenues that we can see change and I don't know if anything changes tomorrow, but in the next couple of years, like you said, like I think there's going to be a lot of seismic shift and then a lot of windows emerging from the federal standpoint and from the industry standpoint that could really set us up for an interesting 2024 election cycle and a window of opportunity in 2025 if everything goes according to plan from elections and like I said, lawsuits and these winds of change happening, come 2025, what is your wish list that you're going to put in there and say, hey, guys, this is how we completely fix healthcare. This is what we need to do. Let's go get it done. Great question. We call that the 2025 reform window. And all of our work is leading up to that. We're trying to create the conditions now to be able to get the best possible health reforms done then when we hope to have aligned policymakers in majorities in both houses of Congress and controlling the White House. Our last uh, reform window was 2017, and we know how that went. Um, After that failure, we did get some very good actions out of the Trump administration to promote better health care, price transparency, uh, short-term renewable health plans, association health plans, and a number of other things. Great stuff, but of course, that can all be wiped away with the stroke of the presidential pen. And in fact, President Biden has worked to uh, remove uh, a number of those good reforms. So 2025, if the stars line up, here's what we want to accomplish. We want HSAs for all, and falling short of that for as many as possible. Only about 10% of Americans today effectively have access to a health savings account. We want that to be 100% or as close as possible. And there are a number of paths to get there. You have to consider budgetary effects and, you know, uh, there will be lobbying by the insurance companies against it. Um, But that's the goal. And And it's promising. I think we can move substantially down the road toward that goal. We want, of course, make sure the DPC is fully uh, tax deductible and HSA and FSA compatible. And we have strong support uh, in Congress for that. And I think we'll get that done, maybe even before 2025. We do want to see uh, uh, the site neutral payment reform in Medicare that we've talked about. And that has bipartisan support, by the way. Left, right, and center agree the current policy is dumb and not helping people. And really, the only opposition to it is the hospitals. They like the status quo and those those extra payments. 
it's an artifact from the ACA where they thought consolidation was going to help foster innovation. So they allowed hospitals to legally charge like 3x what an independent center would. And the authors of the ACA, I think it was like 2015 or 2016, came out, did an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal and said, yeah, this was the wrong thing to do. And then here we are, uh, you know, talking in 2023. I'm like, well, how is that still there? Why don't we learn from our mistakes? But uh, that's a different subject altogether coming through pandemics and all that kind of fun stuff, Dean. So I wanted to pop in there and just give people a little bit of color of why that is, why a hospital can charge three times for an MRI than an independent place could. The legislators gave it to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, almost every problem in healthcare today uh, can be traced back to some dumb or misguided uh, government policy. That, mean, that means we can fix them. These problems are not inevitable. If we learn. If we learn, though, that's the, <laughs> that's the big part of it. But you said you know, earlier, we're looking at Europe and look, watching them fall on their faces and the Canadians. And it's just like, why are we, why is that even in there? So like I said, that, that we've been talking about that ad nauseum. I cut you off. I jumped in there. So uh, please lay out, lay out the rest of, our, uh, of your wish list for us, if you would. Well, of course, we, we uh, want to get the choice plans codified in law so a president cannot eliminate them unilaterally. We want short-term health plans to be protected. These are the last remnant of real health insurance. They're priced according to risk. And so as a result, the prices are reasonable and they encourage people to buy coverage while they're healthy rather than waiting until they get sick. And they're a real lifesaver. About 3 million Americans are relying on these short-term insurance plans now. Uh, the progressives are attacking them as, you know, subpar co- coverage. They call them junk plans. But the fact is, many of them are just as comprehensive as a, uh, you know, a, an Obamacare uh, regulated plan, except that they're much more affordable, like 50 to 80 percent more affordable. And each state can decide uh, on its own how much it wants to regulate these plans. The, the, the prudent states, which happily is a majority, have basically said, we're going to you know, let the market work in that area. And it is working. And now Joe Biden's trying to take health insurance away from 3 million Americans simply because it doesn't fit the ideological template of what he and his coalition think is the right kind of care. You know, my line is uh, uh, the liberals don't care what we do as long as it's mandatory. And short-term plans is a perfect example. The list uh, goes on. I'm, I'm suddenly blocking on the other things we want to accomplish. But you get the, the general idea. And, you know, the price transparency. And uh, if we can do a good percentage of these things, we will have had a good legislative year in 2025. I am encouraged that you said, you know, we th- you think you can get some of these things across the finish line without the Republicans taking the House, the Senate, and the, the and the White House. So there is a little bit of hope for people. And I think that's that's nice for people to hear. You know, when we um, you know, we talk to people on the on the Senate Health Education, Labor and Pension panel, and it's like there's a consensus that we need to invest more time and effort, not necessarily public money in my opinion, but in primary care. Primary care can be a great starting point for a lot of needs to keep people out of the ER, keep people out of specialty. It's just the difference is that there's a disagreement on who's going to pay for that. Is it going to be the taxpayers or is it going to be the people, you know, the market? And how do we how do we be able to foster that? Like government should do, create an environment where markets can now run their course and 
get people where they need to go. And again, it's not pushing people off cliffs. Like you said, like there is a safety net. The safety net exists. But if everybody relies on a safety net, then it's no longer a safety net and it's going to just crumble as we are seeing in other countries taking place today. And, you know, you look at the NHS over in the UK and it's crumbling. If you have a heart attack, you're not going to see a doctor for over three hours. Same thing with strokes. Guess what happens to those people? They don't make it. Well, who needs a doctor for the first three hours after a heart attack? I mean, people should be patient, Christopher. <laughs> That's why they make aspirin, right? That's exactly <laughs> right there. Yeah, exactly. Say your prayers. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Last question for you, wrapping this up. Um, as you guys, as the AFP really unveils this healthcare plan across the nation, I'm going to give you the power to, uh, to run all the billboards in the country. What do you put on those billboards to grab people's attention driving by at 80 miles an hour that gets them thinking? What do those billboards say? They say health care is personal, so you need a personal option. And uh, I don't know how much room I've left on the billboard. <laughs> I guess I've a phone number, call, or better yet, a, a, a website. In fact, we have a website, personaloption.com, where we lay out the vision and put the meat on the bones of a personal option. It really comes down to trust. Who do you trust with your health care? The government or your own doctor? A big insurance company or your own doctor? Some local hospital monopoly or your own doctor? Healthcare is about doctors and uh, other trusted medical providers. And of course, at the end of the day, patients are the consumers or rather they should be the consumers. They're not today. That's the problem. And that's what we're trying to solve. Amen. Like we always say that insurance does not equal health care. And if we can keep drilling that into people's heads and separate those two ideas completely, I think we're all going to be better. Dean Clancy, Senior Health Policy Fellow, Americans for Prosperity. Dean, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. My pleasure. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all of our episodes. Visit the shop and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced and managed by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.